Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Chronicles Abroad. It's a podcast show that uses travel to highlight stories of personal growth. So each week we'll spotlight the stories of courageous world travelers, creative wanderers, and digital nomads who share their incredible experiences of the world through their eyes. If you like traveling, this is what you need. So tune in. What's going on, everybody? This is Nubia. And I'm Francis. And we are your host, The Chronicles Abroad. And today we have a wonderful guest with us today. We have this hurricane in heels, Kelly McRae. Yes, the Thank joy you. junkie. Yes. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here and thank you for being patient with us. So, Kelly, tell us a little bit about your story. My story is... Um, well, you want to know how I got to Thailand? Absolutely. Okay. Because <laughs> I got a lot of stories. I'm good for a story. Uh, I got to Thailand because the healthcare in the United States sucks. I was never, ever, like I wasn't one that had uh, Southeast Asia on my travel um, itinerary for life, if you will. And when I got sick, I looked up where I could get a good quality of life and still get great health care. And Thailand was the number one destination, so to speak. So that's what brought me here. So I sold everything that I owned. I'd never been to Thailand before and moved myself all the way across to the other side of the world. Okay. Well, you said when you got sick. Tell our listeners what that is for you. I have uh, an autoimmune issue called lupus. And there are a lot of misconceptions about lupus. Um, I've actually had somebody say to me, at least you don't have cancer. Yeah. Um, And unfortunately, lupus has no cure. And chemotherapy is one of the treatments for lupus. And lupus takes somebody out of here every single day. So for, again, the misconception of lupus, um, it can be as detrimental and worse than, than, I mean, not to draw a comparison because they're both terrible diseases, but at least with chemotherapy, you have a better chance with, with, um, cancer having a, you know, but with lupus is not going anywhere. You can hope for remission, um, but there's no way to put yourself in the remission. There's no no cure for it. Um, And it really, really, it it tears your life apart. And many people don't realize that because, you know, their perception, if you will, of lupus comes from people like SEAL. You know, they see famous people and they're like, oh, they're coping, but you don't really see the behind the scenes of what they're truly dealing with. Um, you know, so I think that celebrity wise, the most recent um, really big deal has been Selena Gomez. Uh-huh. Nick and, Cannon as well, right? Well, Nick Cannon has lupus, but Selena Gomez just had to have kidney transplant. She's had a really, really, really tough time. Lupus loves kidneys. It loves major organs. Uh, for me, my liver has been swollen. My lungs have been swollen. My heart's been swollen probably four different times now. Uh, a lot of times that I'm hospitalized, they're trying to make sure that my brain doesn't spontaneously bleed. And people don't know this yeah. about lupus when they think that it's not that serious of a disease. But lupus is it's, it's a big dog. Wow. Yes. yes. How did your family feel about you know you actually making that transition to Thailand, um, and I'm sure they may have had some reservations with your health and everything else and being so far away. Yeah, initially, um, you know, my 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 family understood the reason for the decision, but they were really freaking out, especially my mom. Um, you know, my my parents have never really uh, left the United States, so everything outside of the border is like oh, wow, wait a minute, what's happening right now? And, you know, the U.S. propaganda machine says anything that's not inside of our borders is dangerous. So there was that fear um, with that. And then also coupled with that, when I left to come to Thailand, I came here October of 2016. June of 2016, I couldn't walk and talk. 
Wow. Like when I did the first lupus walk in May, I was in a wheelchair. So my family was like, wait a minute, you're leaving and you are barely just getting around now. Um, but I knew that, you know, healthcare quality wise in the States, they just pump you full of drugs. They don't really want to find out truly what's happening with you. Um, and, um, it was just a scary situation for me. And so I came to Thailand to live. Got it. So how did you, how did you locate Thailand? Was that something of, um, you did a lot of research on doctors? Uh, how did Thailand become a part of your... This is the funniest thing. I don't really watch television. And when I do watch television, it's usually something educational or some sort of documentary. Well, because I couldn't walk and talk at the same time, I spent a lot of time with my Netflix. <laughs> and there was a um, television, a, a not a commercial, a special that they had or a series they had called The Last Man Standing, I believe it was. The fellow that um, did um, Super Size Me, Morgan Spurlock, yes. was the host. And he did one on healthcare. And, you know, I watched it like I watched all the others. It was entertaining. But what really got my attention was at the time I was making the rounds through what I call the ists. None of the doctors knew what was wrong with me. They were all running all these tests and nobody could tell me what was wrong with me. And so I had a gastroenterologist because my esophagus narrowed. This is not my natural voice. Um, there's I mean, again, it does a lot of stuff to your body. And so they wanted to do a colonoscopy and an endoscopy, which means they're going to go down your throat and up your backside. And because uh, they figured, well, you know, something's funky happening in there. We'll figure it out. And I happened to watch Morgan Spurlock and he went to Bumrun grad in Bangkok and they gave him a little camera that was the size of a pill. He swallowed it put a little pack on his side and went about his day. And that was his colonoscopy and endoscopy. Yeah, they took pictures. Yeah. They yeah. do that in the States. It's just hella expensive. Well, the problem is, and so I called my gastroenterologist and I said, this is what I want. And I was told, well, you can't have that because it's considered experimental. I was like, it's not experimental because they're doing it and they're doing it successfully. And I was told my insurance company would not approve it. Now, here's my problem. It's not their life. It's my life. Exactly. So if I'm paying my premium, you give me the treatment I ask for. And so for me, when I saw that, that's what made me start digging into Thailand because there were a few factors in that. One, you knew what your costs were up front. And so you, there was no mystery. Um, and two, the care here, again, they're doing things that we aren't doing in the U.S., that we refuse to do in the U.S., but your quality of life is going to be better because if I do it the traditional way, that means I have to go under anesthesia. That puts you at risk, okay? That if they go down your throat and they scratch something up, it can take up to two years for that to heal. So I've already got an issue. Now you're going to make that issue worse, you're going to go up the backside, same situation, and I've got to get somebody to come and drive me to and drive me from and hope that all of the drugs that you're going to give me, when I could just swallow a camera yeah, and go through my day. And you pass it, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I felt like um, between that and the care and attention that I had gotten to where I had to fire doctors, I had to tell a few of them off. Um, I had one put me, I had one put me out of his office. Um, you know, so I was just like, you know what, there's just gotta be something better. And I came here and I've been hospitalized a couple of times here. And I will tell you that what I have paid for specialists, multiple specialists for, um, medication that I was on in the hospital and going home that, you know, cause you leave here with your, your drugs that you need to have at home. I think my last hospital visit was roughly, it was eight days and it was right at $1,700. And wow. that's the whole bill. That's oh everything in and out done. That it's was incredible. It's crazy. I had a hematologist. Um, I had a, which is basically a rheumatologist, um, kind of, you know, because the blood issue that I have. I had a cardiologist when I was at the the first hospital. I had a trauma doctor, and here they don't do nurse practitioners 
or um, physician assistants, you get real doctors and you get real nurses. So, and you get real care and they care about you. You know, they remember who you are. Yes. And that blew me away the first time I realized that. Um, When I first got here, I got here like on the 3rd of October of 2016. By the 7th of October, I was in the hospital. And the hematologist that I had at the the first hospital, because I've been in two different hospitals here, several months, I mean, like probably seven or eight months later, Mm -hmm. I'm in a different hospital. And the doctors here all make rounds through all of the hospitals. They don't have to worry about having privileges like they do in the States. And in walks this hematologist, and it's the same hematologist. She goes, and she starts, without even looking at my chart, the nurse hasn't handed her my chart. She starts asking me questions about the last time she saw me in the other hospital. And I was just blown away by that, you know. And this just, like I said, the quality of care is amazing. It's night and day difference. Yeah, and I can only imagine, you know, the added stress Yes. in the States. You know, you're already going through an emotional time and physical, you know, stress to have that mental stress and financial stress. Right. I mean, I I believe that that makes the the illness even worse. Yes. Yes. Because stress is definitely a trigger uh, along with everything else under God's green creation, it seems as far as lupus is concerned, but stress is definitely a trigger. Um, And the unfortunate thing, again, in the States, they don't really want to see what's wrong with you. They just kind of throw opiates at you. Mm-hmm. And then when you become addicted, they treat you like a drug addict, but they put they were the ones that got you addicted. Yeah. Um, you know, and so there was just, like you said, there was the stress. I remember um, <laughs> I got yelled at by a 30-year-old doctor. I thought to myself, you're young enough to be my kid and I'm being fussed at. But I got yelled at because I took myself to the hospital and I, and it was one of the first times my heart swelled up. So when I left, I was like, oh, I'm okay. I'll get there. By the time I got there, I couldn't breathe. My chest was closing in. I thought I was going to die. And he like straight up just fussed at me. But in him fussing at me, the other people that cared for me were just like, in and out. She's a number. She doesn't matter. Um, To the point where at one point there was one nurse I actually thought that they were probably going to have to call the police on my daughter because of how this woman was so ugly to me. And when she bolted out of the room angry because I wouldn't let her stick me again after two minutes, they'd already stuck me in drawn blood. My daughter bolted out right after her. So here you don't get that. Um, Here I had to do an MRI, MRA, uh, because they thought my brain was shutting my body down. This is a fun disease, by the way. It's a whole lot of fun. I told the girl, I was like, I'm a tough stick. Every time they would stick me and couldn't get a vein, they would bring a different nurse because they didn't want me to feel like that nurse has already tried and now I'm on edge. So, and they would comfort me every, you know, where are you getting that in the States? You're not getting that in the States. Yeah. And the thing about it is people don't know these options, right? It just happened the universe happened to have you watch this documentary. Yes. Right. You would yeah. have not known anything about it. Exactly. And, um, you know, have you, have you traveled extensively prior to coming to Thailand? Was I haven't traveled extensively. I have been abroad. Um, and I was looking to, to live abroad. Oh, you were? I was. Okay. Um, I was interviewing countries and I was going one month at a time. Mm-hmm. So the country that I had interviewed prior to Thailand was, um, that I'd stayed a month was Nicaragua. Um, I've done Chile. Um, I've done Ireland. So I've done a few different places. Um, and you know, and a lot of people want to travel. I tell people, I don't want to travel. I want to live abroad. That's a totally different, you know, different ball game. But, um, but yeah, so I had been to various different places, but of course, healthcare was never one of the criteria until obviously I got diagnosed. And here in Thailand, um, lupus is so prevalent among Asian women, um, Pacific Islanders, Native Americans, black women, um, and it's so, and and Latinos. And poor Selena Gomez going back to her. In Latino women, if they get it young, like she's got it, it is very, very aggressive, Mm. very aggressive. But I went, you know, it, it takes them about the U.S. three to five years to figure out what you have because they just don't take the time to really hear what it is that you have because they've got 15 minutes. 
and that's it. So you don't get to tell them every crazy thing that your body is doing. But here, the the way that the healthcare is set up, you could be in with a doctor for an hour, or you could be in with a doctor for 10 minutes and you never feel rushed. And here, again, lupus is so prevalent that even the GP doctors know how to deal with it. They know how to handle it. They know what it looks like, you know, the whole nine yards. So you're getting diagnosed mm -hmm. faster here. And because lupus is a disease that attacks your organs, the faster they catch it and get you on the proper medication, the better your survival rate is. Wow. So tell us about how We're the done. Joy Junkie came about. You know, I have always been a happy person. I grew up inner city Chicago. I don't know how I managed to be so freaking happy. Um, I'm a Desert Storm veteran, but when I was a little girl, my, my sisters would call me Pollyanna <laughs> because I just got to find the silver lining in everything. And when I got sick, you know, there are things that you in life, like if somebody says, oh, this happened to you, would you still be that way? And you're like, yeah, absolutely. But you can say that without any real knowledge because it's not being tested. When I got diagnosed, uh, of course, I, you know, I get my anger and, and my, you know, what the, the denial, the stages of grief, all of that stuff. And they go through that a lot, depending on what's happening with my body. But what I found was I didn't want to be a victim of the disease. I was like, you know what? There are days when I got good energy, then we're just going to press on through and we're going to be happy about it. We're going to be grateful that we are living. We're going to be grateful that, you know, that you can still talk to your family. You, I'm going to be grateful for everything that it was. And I realized that this happy thing, if you will, that I had going on was actually really genuine. It wasn't because life was going okay, you know, that that things weren't that challenging. When things got really, really ugly and things got really, really challenging, I was still finding the silver lining. So I tease and I tell people I could find a silver lining in lead, you know. <laughs> so if I could find silver in lead, you know. But um, but yeah, but I just kind of and not only do I get off on just being happy because there's so much negativity out there. Mm -hmm. I get off on other people being happy too, yeah. you know? So I am always encouraging and always lifting up and always trying to help almost probably to a point of a flaw because anytime I feel like somebody is saying anything diminishing, especially about another woman, then I'm giving them a hard side eye and I'm judging them badly, you know? Yeah. And sometimes it causes me to miss out because they didn't really mean any harm, but I'm so sensitive to build up, empower, and always be encouraging that when I see, you know, the opposite of that, I do my best to just kind of stay away from it. You know, we're more than just travel. We provide tips, resources, and hacks for the curious traveler in you. So whether you're a lover of travel or just someone who is ready for a change, we have something for everyone. So what does it mean to be the joy junkie? What do you do? What is, I know that you have a nice following of people who really tune in to, yeah. to your podcast, to yeah. your, you know, um, live on Facebook you know, <laughs> messages and stuff. Yeah. You have this motivation and inspirational message for people all the time. What are, what are some of the things that you offer? Is it just women? Do you no. Only? Okay. So no. Just I help everybody. Um, and basically what I'm doing is I'm helping small businesses look big on social. So um, I basically help them create content. I help them find ideas to monetize their content. And then we marry the two together, basically. So I am a weirdo, very uh, creative, take your idea and turn it into something, you know, that is like, uh, monster truck wheels on it, you know, and we just roll over the top of whatever we can roll over the top of. And I just take, you know, these businesses and I just slice up every little bit of, you know, content or whatever it is that they may have, ideas that they may have. And because I'm so good at at pick, you know, I pick up on things in people. Mm -hmm. I see your passions. I see your fears. I see your concerns. I see your worries. And so I'm able to really like get into your personality when I'm bringing you these ideas that I want you to, you know, to see if you want to monetize. And then when you are 
giving me excuses because I'm a happy person. So you start giving me excuses. I don't believe in excuses. But when you start giving me excuses, I'm very good at calling you out without making you feel like you got called out. Got it. So that's kind of what I do. So what has your transition been like in Thailand? When I first got here, I was gung-ho. I was like, that's the cleanest city in the world. Everybody's so friendly. Like, I didn't see nothing I had on the blinders, man. I was like, I'm in Thailand. But yeah, but uh, my transition here wasn't that bad um, because, you know, they do speak some English. Um, It wasn't as much as I was led to believe. But, you know, Thai is not one of those languages that you were going to Rosetta Stone. You weren't, you you just wasn't going to do that. So it didn't matter if you knew how to speak the language or not, because you would have gotten here and you would have got a rude awakening that you were doing it wrong, no matter what, how you were saying it, it was wrong, Um, you know, but other than that, the transition has actually been, you know, pretty good. It's been fairly easy. There's a lot here that, you know, reminds you of being in the West, but the attitudes are definitely East. And that for me was actually something I needed. Again, even though I'm a joy junkie um, and I'm basically a happy person, I am aggressive and can be angry. You know, so uh, coming to a place where they don't allow you or it's, it's frowned upon to yell at people taught me a lot more patience, you know, because this community is so small that if you show your butt, everybody knows that you showed your butt and you'll have a difficult time. So if you are a person that habitually shows your butt, you have to learn how to control that. And Thai folks and Asian folks in general like to save face. So they don't like confrontation at all. So, and that's been a huge adjustment for a lot of people that I've noticed. You know, you can't have those confrontational conversations. Listen, if you want to go and talk to angry Asian people, just go on over to China. (laughs) You can you could be as aggressive as you want to there, but the rest of the Asian culture I would agree with. So hopefully, guys, hopefully that doesn't sound bad. But when I went to and it's not they're not angry people. It's just their culture. You know what we what we see as one thing they see as a different because they they've had a different upbringing. So that's the other thing for those of you that are looking at traveling. Make sure you research the cultures for where you're going because they don't all mesh. And I know like one of the examples, like I gave to my mom, you know, I was telling her, I was like, you know, you can hold the door open here and people don't say thank you. Whereas in America, you hold the door open and somebody doesn't say thank you. You got an attitude, you know, immediately, you know, but you don't take into account that they may come from a different culture. This is a culture of karma. So they figure, well, you did something nice. Karma's going to get you. I don't have to thank you. You know, so you've just got to, yeah, you got to look at the, the different cultures. And unfortunately, the Chinese culture, there's so many people there. It's very overcrowded. There have been times when there was, you know, little food, little supplies, and they've had to fight for, you know, everything that they had. And so I don't mean to sound derogatory towards their culture, but because they're they're super aggressive, it's just not the culture for me. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah. we all... Um can be, you know, culturally competent in a lot of ways. I mean, even with that, I remember in the States, um, if you're in line and somebody's like right up on you, you'd be mm-hmm. like, damn, get off my back. Right. But being in Asia, there is no sense of personal space. Right. <laughs> they, they are in front of you, behind you, beside you, and they will reach up, reach across yes. your face. And, get, and you're like, whoa. And But now that I live here, I just kind of chuckle and, and I just step back and just yeah. let it happen or whatever. Yeah. You just I, move I don't on. Get upset. Yeah, you, you don't get upset about that. In the states, I would have been like, I would have given a dirty look. Yeah, but here it's just we're just one big family yeah. per se. But you know, but here's the here's <laughs> the you funny thing, right? Thanks. But here's the funny thing about that when we when we look at the culture here versus the culture that we had in the states, think about how stressful that is. I held a door for you and you didn't say thank you. Now I'm mad. I got to say something. Well, y'all could have said thank you. Now you got to turn around and put me in my place because who you think you talking to? And now we got a whole altercation because I held the door and you didn't say thank you. A whole volatile situation. Over something so minute, yeah. something so tiny, you know, and that that's one of the things I feel like in being here and that culture of not yelling it really does make you assess 
why would I be yelling in this situation anyway? Why would I be upset? You know, oh, and, and so they got the food wrong. You know, all right, well, just send it back and get something else. You don't have to be losing your mind and throwing plates and, you know, shaking the waiter up and all this kind of nonsense. Whereas in the States, we just be losing our minds. It's true. Quickly. Yes. And now, even now, if I order something, like, which happened a lot in Vietnam, I, they're like, but you order. I'm like, no, I I didn't order that. Right. And they just look at me and I look at them. And I'm like, okay, thank you. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to eat that meal. I mean, there's no sending things back or substitutions or anything like that. Oh, there's like definitely that. no substitutions. What you get is what you get. In yes. the States, that would not have happened. Yes. But here, it, but I feel better about it because I'm not stressed out. I don't, you know, I say yeah. I preserve my energy more. Exactly. Had exactly. It, it really does make you, like I said, it makes you review and I mean, but but think about this too. And I mean, and I really thought about this being, you know, battling with my with my body. That the stuff that we carry in the states that is just asinine. You know, you mad because somebody cut you off in traffic. But guess what? They didn't hit your car. You got there safely. You know, instead we screaming, hollering, you number one out the window and y'all know which number one I'm talking about. And then you get to work and you pissed off. And I mean, and it, and it goes through your entire day. Mm-hmm. And we that's stress in your body. And what people don't realize is stress creates different chemicals. And anything negative is going to create a negative reaction. So stress kills. It does. And so we run around here carrying this foolishness over doors, traffic, Mm -hmm. Black Friday. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) So Kelly, since traveling and being abroad for so long, what are some of the lessons that you've learned about yourself? Like Kelly from before and Kelly now. Kelly from before had a lot of superficial relationships. Um, yeah, I knew a lot of people, but I didn't know a lot of people. Does that make sense? Perfect sense. You know, whereas here, um, I have refined my circle and I don't suffer fools. You know, in the States, you meet somebody and you're like, well, you know, they part of the group. We'll, we'll deal with them because they came with no, no. Sorry, no. (laughs) I don't mess with nobody I don't want to mess with. I don't talk to nobody I don't want to talk to. And if you talk out the side of your neck, I'm going to be right on the other side, talking out the side of mine, getting you out of my face in a hurry. So um, I don't... You know um, what you will and will not tolerate or deal with. I I follow my intuition, (laughs) you know, in, in ways that I never did before. Like you would get these red flags and you knew. But you was making excuses. You was trying to give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Well, you know what? Benefits are drying up all over. (laughs) So you're not getting a benefit of nothing. No doubt. None of that. If I get with if I talk to you two or three times and your energy is not right, you don't have to worry about me no more. You know, and might, might I miss out on somebody? I might. But you know what? If they're supposed to be a part of my world, the universe will work that out and they'll be back around again. Yeah. Yeah. You are so right. We just had a whole conversation about intuition and how being abroad um, almost opens that up a lot more for you to listen to it and tap into it. Because, I mean, we all have it. right? Yeah. But when you're in the States and you're in the midst of the BS and you're going through the BS and you just it, it goes right past you. You don't take a time out to really tap into that intuition, that gut feeling into your, you know, somewhere abroad and have that time and energy to really understand what that looks like and what that sounds like and what it feels like. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, and I always say that when you're pulled from your environment, you can see things clearly. And I think that's one thing being abroad has helped me to do, just like you. Like, I know what I want now, even more so clearly. I know the things that I'm willing to have in my life. And and for me, it's like, hell yes or hell no. Right. If it's... in the middle, then it's a it's a no. no. Yeah, yeah. So exactly. I, I just that's the two volumes that I'm using right now in my life. So I totally understand that. Yeah, I mean, for really, it really does get you, like you said, in tune because there's a lot of misconception. I I was telling somebody this the other day. I says when you've never left the country. You get your your brand new passport. It doesn't have stamp number one in it. And you're like, I'm so excited. 
I'm gonna travel. And then you get out there and they lose your luggage and your flight is delayed. So you missed your other flight. Somebody stole your phone. Uh, your chargers don't work anymore. You're completely lost and people act like they don't speak the language. It becomes like crazy adventures or, or, or you get caught in a flood, a typhoon. Uh, <laughs> Girl, the list goes on and on. Exactly. And on and on. You know, so you, you're, you're, Tuition or your tuition? Look, I'm going to children's, going to college. Your intuition, your intuition, really becomes very key because it's a survival instinct. It is, and you, it really is. And so you really just learn, like you said, to truly tune into it, especially if you're traveling by yourself, because you're extra vulnerable. And us as women, being solo travelers, we're extra, extra vulnerable. And black women as well. Yes. So that leads me to the next question. What's it like being a, a black woman abroad and has that played a role? I don't know that it's so much played a role per se. I gotta be honest with you. I love seeing other black people though. It, it makes me very excited that, you know, that there's this, which we've been lied to for years and decades and decades where we were like, ain't nobody, our people, they scared to travel. No, they're not. We over here in droves. Yes. We ought to be over here, so wacky cow car and all over the place because we are just like seriously like <laughs> right. We running deep up in this joint. But I will say that being a black woman abroad again has made me bolder in some things because in the states I got you're so well spoken. You're so articulate. You're so pretty for a black girl. Uh, okay. In the States, I was like, well, thank you. Over here, I'm like, what you talking about? What does that mean? Where are you coming from? You know, why would you assume? You know what I'm saying? So here, more so than any place else, when somebody comes at me with some nonsense, I just point blank put them on the spot and ask them about their nonsense. Because, you know, in the States, again, we as black people, we learned to shift. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that wasn't for us. It was to make other people comfortable. I came here to live. I have literally looked death in the face. 2016, I was calling it the year of the tombstone. I went from 170 pounds down to 109. I am almost five foot eight. You're not coming and getting in my face with no nonsense. And I'm, I was getting ready to ask y'all if y'all podcast a lot of cussing because I was going, well, okay, then you ain't going to come and get in my face with no bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, you can miss me with all of these things that say that I'm less than you yeah. because I'm here just like you are here. Yeah. And you're not going to diminish me. You're not going to mistreat me. You're not going to talk down to me. And I don't really care what color you are, but especially if you are not sporting brown, you could really just get the hell up out of my face talking some 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 shit for real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I totally yeah. agree. It happens. And the thing about it is, I'm trying to learn a little bit more whether or not is that the case? Are they being are they demeaning or are they really not understanding? Because there's times when, you know, I, you know, I've had my fair share of run-ins with, you know, what I feel like is racism or colorism or whatever. And um, even in like Malaysia and or Indonesia, they were asking me some really intrusive questions, mm -hmm. but it was almost like everybody did it. Right. So I was like, well, maybe it wasn't that they're really trying to be intrusive. That's just the only thing that they know how to ask. You know, where are you, where do you stay? Right. How long are you here? Like questions. I was just like, why? Why are you asking? Well, me now let me let me make sure I clarify this. The Asian culture is very blunt and abrupt is what I've learned. Yeah. So they are a lot of times just making small talk. Yeah. The fools I'm talking about are Americans. Oh, yeah. I have had Americans come point blank. I just recently had a situation. I was at a party and the guy, we're in a group setting and I'm having a conversation with a woman and he's bragging about his um, homes in these three different places and all of his extensive travels and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not even talking to him because one, I feel like you insecure that you got to be over there bragging and to, to putting all your business in the street. But he turns to me. Now it's a group of about six of us just standing in a huddle. And he looks at me, he goes, did you save to come here? And I looked at him and I just said, no. 
I mean, literally, that's how I said it. No. And I turned back to the woman I was speaking to. And, you know, and, you know, everybody, the conversations are shifting here or there. A little bit later, he says again, um, did you save to come here? I looked at him. I says, you already asked me that. Well, I know you're probably wondering who this nosy guy was. I was like, no, actually, I wasn't. And I turned back to speak to the woman, you know, again. And then the third time he asked me again, the same. I'm the only one in the circle that is chocolate. And I'm the only one getting the inquisition about how I could afford to be here. And so when he asked me the third time, I looked at him, I says, did you? And he goes, well, no. I says, mm, that's the end of that. Whatever I, unless you're going to contribute, you can get the hell out of my face. You can mind your business. You know, so I found, again, a boldness in me that I would have never, in the United States, I would have probably just been like, well, you know, that's personal and I don't really want to. Try to sugarcoat it. Right. <laughs> I just dismissed him. And, you know, and I was just like, really, this is what you're asking me. You're asking me about my financial situation in a group setting. You don't even know me. You just met me. And your racism is showing. Because I'm the only person of color that you're putting that quiz out here for and putting it out here multiple times. Like, I owe you an explanation. I don't owe you nothing. Mm -hmm. I owe, what I owe you is the courtesy of not cussing your ass out right now because you're minding business that's not yours. Yeah. You know, and so that's more or less the, the kind of stuff that I've had. Um, and, and it's just unfortunate because you come to a place like this and you don't get a lot of the things that we got back home. Yeah. So when you get someone that kind of catches you that way, you're a little caught off guard. So, but, but I'm handling it definitely different than I would have in the States. Good. So you're here on a visa, correct? A language visa. Yeah. Can you tell our, vis our listeners how that works? Um, I found the school that I wanted to attend and basically paid the tuition and, um, you know, and went out and I had to go out of the, the country to apply for the, the visa. You come back in and then after every 90 days, you have to check in with immigration, but you don't have to leave the country and you can renew those, you know, every, you know, every 12 months or what have you. So I have a 12 month language visa where I'm learning to speak Thai, which is why I know that it, you cannot Rosetta Stone this this language. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, because I think that's um, it's one of the things that people get very uh, nervous about is visas, right? Yeah. Dealing with immigration in general is just one of the things. Unfortunately, I am not here on a visa, so I do the monthly visa runs, which becomes extremely costly. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that when I got here, I didn't know there was a such thing as a visa for self-defense. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> but you're going every month. You know, you can do 90 days. Well, only if I go to immigration and request. It's not 90 days. It's 60 days. Right. And then you could do a 30-day extension. And then you could do a 30-day extension. Right. I had already used up my 60-day and did not get the extension immediately after. Mm -hmm. I went directly to Malaysia. Okay. So I had already broke that seal. You get what I'm saying? I should have did it when I when But when I you get ready to come back though, you should still be able to apply for that at the embassy in whatever country you're in. You know, I'm still learning this whole little thing. Yeah. I I literally I felt like I wanted to do the visa runs only because um traveling from Thailand is very accessible and True. inexpensive. And when I left the States, I had left the States with a notion that I would be receiving certain incomes and right. I would have, you know, my savings and all that stuff. So it wasn't costly to me. It was like, you know, you go to Malaysia, it's, it's 60 bucks. Right. Round trip. Right. You know what I mean? So I would still have that, that USD mindset. It's mm -hmm. only $60. But $60 in Thailand yeah. goes a long way. It does. Whoa, that's like a month. You be eating for three weeks on $60, man. It's for real. Right? <laughs> so I didn't know that leaving the States. Right. So, I mean, that's one of the premises for the podcast is to give people the real, the you know, because we're here and right. we're making the mistakes and we're learning from them. And if we can teach people how to do it, you know, better, yes. I won't necessarily say right. Right. Because right. everybody's got right. Everybody has their own way of doing it. And it, it, it all depends on the country. So, yeah. 
I definitely am looking at doing this language visa thing. And um, I've met people who do the self-defense visa and they have the visa now. Thailand's actually full of visas, different kinds of visas. And now they're opening a four-year visa for nomads and you know, digital nomads. Digital nomads. Sorry, not just random. Yeah, just nomads. I'm just randomly wandering. Right. Thanks. I'm a nomad. I'm just wandering aimlessly. <laughs> Trying to find myself. Right. Then the eat, pray, love, no God visa. Everybody. Everybody's in Bali on that visa. Right. No, uh, but seriously, like, yeah, the visa situation. So you've been in Thailand for how long now? Um, a little more than a year. So let's see, October, November, December, January, a year and three months. Uh, so Kelly, do you get any homesickness and how do you deal with that? I actually don't get much homesickness. I'll tell you what I get is amazon.com <laughs> sickness. <laughs> Because you cannot order Amazon over here. And Amazon, I'm so sorry I took you for granted. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I, because I, I video conference with my kids all the time. Now, Thanksgiving was a little tough for me this year because everybody was at my sister's house in Georgia and my cousin was there baking homemade biscuits. And I was like, I don't want some homemade biscuits. <laughs> and then, you know, she was making homemade dress and I was like, homemade dressing but overall i would just like to be able to order my crap from amazon.com no problem right so that's what i get sick over okay so when Um, you go back home fun question number one what's the first thing that you eat Uh, what's like the first thing when you like land on the stage like i have to do this before anything else let's see food wise it's gotta be pizza pizza Really? Yes. Let me tell you. Chicago deep dish. Thank you. Because this flat, soggy, and I swear they're not using tomato sauce. I think it's ketchup. You know, I'm like, can I just get like a real? And I mean, this is this is a funny thing. Okay, you guys have seen the movie Friday, right? Of course. Remember where he was like, y'all got Kool Aid, no sugar. You got cereal with no milk. That's how I feel like. I feel like Thailand is with our dishes. Like there's a place um, over by the the mall and they've got this spinach artichoke um, cheese dip and it came out and it was beautiful. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. Right. I was like, where my bread? Where my where my where my chips? You know what they serve it with? A fork. Bread is not something that they have. Girl, it's, not their, it's not their thing out here. But then don't be serving all dishes. Don't be messing. Look, I was all jacked up. And then they went on a, like when I asked for it, they were so confused and they went and scrounged and found me some Ritz crackers. I was like, can can I just, you know. Coming up here with too many expectations. Man. I guess so. Zero expectations. <laughs> right? Listen, if you want some good pizza, I got some really good pizza on Copanan. There's a little Italian restaurant by this Italian man, a thick Italian accent. Best pizza. So she is the crust thick. (laughs) It's pretty thick. It's not deep dish thick, but it's thick. I'm tell. I love pizza. (laughs) I love pizza, and I know you're a Chicago. You guys should see these faces. (laughs) And best, best pizza. Mm. Really good Italian food. Yeah, yeah. Because that's yeah, my whole thing. Okay. Because that, I'm out. telling you that. Then this is funny. When I left the States, I liked Thai food. I'm going to leave it at that. Well, I will say this. It, you, oh my gosh. Okay. So to the listeners, Kelly's Facebook page, right? One day I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see this post that Kelly wrote about making tea. And you bought that packet that you thought was sugar. Oh, my goodness. And you said you put it in your tea and it was so nasty. And I looked at the packet because I said to myself, oh, they sell that at the Tesco Lotus on the corner. And I remember looking at it like, damn, this is some thick sugar. Like I was thinking coarse. Yeah, what sugar. was it? What was it? It's MSG. Are it you fucking <laughs> <laughs> It was a bag of MSG. Bag of MSG. 
And the guy told me it was sugar. So I get all, I was like, I bet you he was laughing in my ass. He like, ha ha, yeah, you thought that was going to sweet. I just think that when you up. ask them something and they say yes right away, they well, know. Well, no, he, I, I, I didn't, I was like, um, I said, what is this? Because it was next to salt. And the, the salt bag actually said salt in English. This bag had no translation on it. And he goes, it's sugar. I was like, oh, I, because I didn't oh, prompt him. Oh, he said it. He said it. And I was like, mm, you set me up for the okie doke, friend. <laughs> yeah. that, that reminds me of a funny story. So I'm craving peanut butter. I'm just like, I just want a basic peanut butter sandwich. So I go to the Japanese, you know, this, the grocery store near my house. I grab a pit, like a tin, and it had peanuts on it. Mm. It was brown. I was like, all right, cool. That's, that's all I need. <laughs> I go back home. I open it. I'm like, what's this liquid? What is this liquidy? Uh, mollified and it's more like a it tasted fine but okay. it wasn't peanut butter okay it was not <laughs> she like we still like made some, a sandwich though I did I like, saw it out like I poured it it's like dripping through I'm like we gonna make this work <laughs> I want a peanut butter she like cause it tasted good she like we still making a sandwich I don't give a damn we making a sandwich out of this today <laughs> uh, oh, the same thing happened to me went to the market and bought these peas that look like lento cause I love to cook mm. so one of the requirements for getting the place was they had to have some kind of burner. And for the listeners, when you move over to Southeast Asia, they don't necessarily have ovens or stove kitchens. kitchens at all because you can you can buy food pretty much anywhere. Yeah. At any time of night, any time of the day. For the so, low low. For the low low. Correct. Yeah. So it was a requirement that I had a burner so I could at least cook. Right. And so I bought these lentil beans. I thought lentil beans and I'm you know chefing it up I got the curry got all the kind of stuff them beans was not when I repeat was not like taking in the liquid they were still like hard oh. shell <laughs> I mean I boiled them I of course I soaked them overnight I soaked listen I know how to cook they weren't lentils they weren't lentils <laughs> I sat on my phone on Google. It was looking at like every pea bean. And are they Asia. about that big? No, they were not that large. Okay. They were. They were. They looked like lentils, same okay. color. You know, we just thought they were lentils. The thing about it is, just because it looked like something, no, and question everything. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, honestly, that's been one of my issues here too. As if I needed to lose any more weight, a lot of the stuff that you know that we think is going to taste one way. Tastes a completely different way. And what we know the names of, like their spinach is not like our spinach. No, not at all. You know, so you're getting like totally different. And like the, I was asking you about the size of what you saw. They've got these little bitty, and they look like fat peas, mm -hmm. but they're eggplants. Are they? They are. And as a, you know, I, I'm avoiding anything that's that's in the nightshade family other than a white potato and a tomato. I'll suffer for those. But um, eggplant, I ain't going to suffer for no eggplant. You know, so I'm looking at this. I was like, oh, I could put that in a soup. No, you're not putting that in this because I'm like you. I like to cook too. But being here, I just have no clue what most of this is. And the unfortunate thing is when you go to a lot of the markets, they don't speak any English at all. at all. And therefore, you trying to ask what this is, how do you cook it, all of that? No, friend, no. Take a picture on Google and see if Google can help you out with that. Right. Life abroad has been one big trial and error, which mm. leads me to the next question. What do you think it takes? Like, what kind of person do you need to be to be able to make this type of transition? You got to be open-minded. And you got to be willing to change because things move on a dime. I mean, again, you get that shiny new passport and you think that traveling looks like all these postcards. Traveling does not look like these postcards. Traveling don't smell like these postcards because sometimes, depending on where you've been stuck at, you ain't washed your butt in three days. You know what I'm saying? So it's not as glamorous as people think it is. And you've got to be, you, you've got to be open-minded because again, you know, the foods are different. The culture is different. The people are different. The way they handle things, you, you can't expect them to deal with things the way that, that you would deal with things because culturally speaking, we come from something completely different. And you just got to be able to, like I said, switch on a dime. And you've got to be innovative because a lot of places don't have internet 
you know, depending on where you are. And I'll tell you what, and even if they do have internet, sometimes your, your stuff just died. Your charges are dead. So, I mean, you've really got to be on your P's and Q's. You got to know how to read an old school map. You got to, I mean, like you, you really have to pull out all your resources. So you got to be resourceful. You got to be open-minded and you got to be ready to change. Yeah. Yeah. So what I, I always say this and I always ask people, what was something that gave you like culture shock when you came here? Like for me, Southeast Asia, the bathrooms. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, the squat toilets and stuff. Yeah. I can't get past it. I don't care how much I love, you know, being abroad. Right. Walk into bathrooms, public bathrooms, I'd be like, oh, man, yeah. it still gets me every time. That's what's funny. something for you? You know what's funny? I did not experience culture shock here. Mm-hmm. My culture shock, and I, and I often wonder if you only go through it one major time or do, or do some people go through it like in every country that they go to. I went to Chile and had a friggin' meltdown. And that for me, after that, I was like, all right, I'm good. So every place else I've been since then, it's like, all right, just shift and adjust, just shift and adjust. The only place that I couldn't, that I couldn't shift and adjust was in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And you ain't got to never worry about me taking my black ass back there ever again. (laughs) Oh, you know we're going to ask. Oh my God. Let me tell you, that was a nightmare. I was literally lost in Hong Kong for four hours. A lot of the Chinese people speak English. You would be hearing them holding a conversation in English, and I would walk over and go, excuse me, ma'am, can you help me? Oh, no, speak English. And I got cussed out by cab drivers and mistreated in the airport. Like I got yelled at by a bus driver. Like I got mistreated from the time I got off the plane until the time I got on the plane. And when I left Hong Kong, um, I missed the first flight because that's just how fabulous my trip was going to Hong Kong. And so I ended up booking another flight because I just refused to stay there another damn day. And when I booked the flight, they sold me a flight that had a layover in Myanmar. And you have to have a visa. And I didn't, you know, I just booked the flight. I was like, I just need to get the hell out of here. Well, when I got to Myanmar, for me to be the person that they had to actually get special permission to let me come through, they made sure I did not go through customs because I didn't have a proper visa. So I got permission. So they met me at the gate. I got treated like royalty in Myanmar. I was ready to kiss feet. In Myanmar, I got treated so poorly in Hong Kong. Wow. You know, and so in Myanmar, you would have thought that they were like celebrities to me because I was like, oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so can I take pictures with you guys? Like it was just, I was so traumatized by Hong Kong that I was like, okay, I'm never traveling to any place other in, in, in Asia other than Thailand. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So Kelly, I know we got sidetracked off my fun question. Two questions. Okay. The first question is... What's dating like? I don't. Like all universal. I feel like everybody, man, woman. Every time we ask this question, it's the same thing. What? Date? What? Non-existent. Right. Well, I mean, one for me, I came here with a different priority. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm still mentally dealing with, you know, because in February, my diagnosis will be two years old. And for what this disease does to your body, it's mental, spiritual, emotional, physical, financial, everything. Um, so it's a lot to deal with. And some people probably be like, oh, two years, she should be over it. No, it don't quite work that way. Uh, but then the other thing too is I'm kind of becoming, I'm kind of becoming a little disgruntled the longer I spend time here in Thailand because the men, number one, don't come here for women from the West. They come here for the Asian woman. But the thing I think the reason I'm becoming disgruntled is because they they come here with these weird expectations of the Asian women, you know, that they're going to be submissive and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And so what I have found in talking to some of these men is what they want in a woman is that type of attitude. And they ain't never going to get that from me. Got it. Therefore, dating won't happen for me here. (laughs) So it's time to dive deep and look into the holistic perspective of travel. 
We believe traveling is an investment in you. So our mission is to inspire you to book that flight, check that item off your bucket list, and go on that adventure. And our hope is to ignite connections all over the world. All right, last question. If you could give anyone any advice who is thinking about living, traveling abroad, what would you tell them? Do it. Like for real, because it's about the experiences and we could sit here and we could laugh about not washing our asses for three days because we were stuck somewhere or people not wanting to help you because they didn't speak the language. But guess what? I saw Hong Kong. I've been to Victoria's Peak. It's a beautiful city. I learned how to navigate their public transportation. I've been to Malaysia and got to see firsthand what a Muslim country is like, not what CNN and Fox News is telling me that a Muslim country is like. I got to come to Thailand and learn how to say, Savatika. You know, <laughs> so you got to sing it. You got to do it right. You got to sell it, you know, but, you know, I've been to Nicaragua and, and did a tsunami warning and climbed a volcano, an active volcano and slid down the other side. I chilled and I did a 6.7 uh, earthquake in Chile. Like, I mean, these are experiences that they sound hella crazy, but they were hella good, you know, and even in my hospital stays. I got to experience a cardiologist thanking me for choosing him. You know, good luck getting that to happen in the United States, you know, but the experiences are going to far outweigh that Mercedes Benz that you got that note on that's going to depreciate as soon as you take it out the lot, that's going to stress you out when you get that pink slip and you still got to pay for it. You know, that, that air conditioner that broke just on the hottest day of the damn summer, you know, sell all that shit. Get rid of it. Pack your babies. Get them international culture. Get them international education. Education in the United States sucks anyway. Have you guys seen how people are spelling there, there, and there? <laughs> you know, so, you know. You can't even afford it. I mean, and that's the thing. People think that this lifestyle is so expensive. This thing is cheaper than living in the States. That's why when people be asking, can you afford to live here? I'm like, can you afford to get the hell out of my face? Yeah. Yeah. And we spoke to someone yesterday who was actually here for graduate school. Mm -hmm. And for four years of graduate school, she said the total was what? Um, like 26,000. Girl, that's half a semester in the it United was a PhD States. Program. PhD program. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, um, that's crazy. I get it. I get it. It, it, it. Listen, America is on sale. It is all about the almighty dollar. Yeah. It's all about fear. And it's all Keeping about angry. Yeah. Yes. It's all about being angry. Everything we do is shoot them up, beat them up, kill them up, you know, and this is such a happier life. And people get all caught up in these possessions. I, listen, I was a fashion blogger. When they came to pack my house, it took them literally seven days just to pack my clothes. It was ridiculous. And then I lost all this weight and couldn't wear these fabulous clothes anyway. But I mean, but, you know, so I had all of this stuff that, you you know, and, and I tell people now, like I had a wall of, I had, heck, I had more than a wall of shoes. I had a wall of high heels. I had another room that had wedges. And, it, you know, I was rivaling Imelda Marcos. And now I sit back and I think about that excess. And I'm like, you only got two feet. You know, you got 250 freaking pairs of shoes that you're not even wearing them all. And people are hungry. People are homeless. And, you know, people need jobs. And people, I mean, it's like all of the things that you could do in this world to, to be good, if you will. You can, and you don't even have to leave your country to do those things. But America has made it so where it's all, you know, are you all for yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, nobody is really looking out for one another anymore, but you go out into other cultures and other countries. And the reason they are happy is because they are still looking out for one another. They are still helping one another and doing the best that they can possibly do. And just being nice to each other. We're not even nice to one another. Exactly. It, it is mind boggling to me 
in these Asian countries, um, when you go to a market and every single stall on the whole strip is selling the same, same exact thing. shit. And you're like, who is making money? But they all are talking to each other. They're yep. laughing. They're making their money. Yes. Little if not any at all, but they're still open. And I'm just like, you know, I just don't understand it. I still don't understand. Right. <laughs> you know, everything on the corner is the same. And you're just like, yes, but, but how do you guys, you know... I think in the end, traveling really taps into and reconnects you to humanity. Yeah, I would agree with that. So I would agree with that. I actually just shared something similar to that on my um, on my on a Facebook post where I basically said that it seems to me that the more you travel and experience other countries and cultures, that the line that separates us becomes diminished. That what we're more similar uh, to one another than we are different. Absolutely. Yeah, that's been my take. I agree. Well, Kelly, it has been great having yes. you here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, we appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us, to talk to our listeners. So can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media? Yes, you can find me at kellymccrae.com. I'm spelled with an I-E, so it's K-E-L-L-I-E, Amazon Michael, C-R-A-E. Um, I'm all over you know, Facebook, you can find me there. Um, if you want to visit my business page, it's uh, facebook.com backslash hurricane in heels. And uh, yeah, and that's pretty much, I mean, I'm a few other places, but that's where you'll find me for sure. I live at Facebook. If they could get my mail, if they could collect my Amazon packages, <laughs> it would be at Facebook. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kelly. You're Thank welcome. Thank you, Kelly. It's been a pleasure meeting you. And- Thank you, guys. Thank you for tuning in to Chronicles Abroad. Please support us by sharing this podcast through your social media platforms. Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram and hit that like button at Chronicles underscore abroad. Find us online at our website, chroniclesabroad.com, for tips, resources, and ways we can collaborate. So don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Until then, beautiful people, thanks for listening. Music by Stephanie James and Almighty K-Rock, produced by Adam Marcus.